Baytown is a beautiful place, and yet so much has happened here, including murder, smuggling, and treachery. From the quayside to the top of the village runs a smuggler's tunnel that connects to many of the cottages as a handy escape route or a safe place to store contraband. The road to Whitby climbs the cliff and on over Horsecombe Moor. This is not a place to be alone at night. The gnarled, wind-beaten trees are spoken of as the fingers of the witches that frequent these paths. If you manage to arrive safely in Whitby Town and make your way through the narrow ginnels leading to Church Street, you may rest a while at the Griffin Inn. The food will warm the heart, and the company is always plentiful. It is in this street that Shadow Mansa comes to its conclusion. Kate, Thomas, and Rafa walked on these very cobbles past the ancient bookshop where the red-headed bookseller lures the customer from the street to sample the delights of the written word. Onwards and upwards to the church of St. Mary, where Hilda and Cadman set their seal on history with poems and peacemaking. If you believe in angels, then this is the place to be. Sit in the boxed pews, close your eyes, and listen to the proclamation of the centuries that has burnt in the hearts of so many people. In these seats, people have lamented over the loss of a loved one, given thanks for new birth and the joining of lives. Some, they say, have even sat in the company of angels who come to this place dressed as strangers, bringing with them a light to the world that the darkness will never overcome. This is the place of Shadowmancer. G.P. Taylor Chapter 1 The Dark Storm It was a still October night. On the clifftop the harvest was gathered in, and sheaves of corn were stacked together to form peculiar straw houses. A bright silver moon shone down on a calm sea. In the distance the silhouette of the Friendship, a collier brig, could be seen picked out against the waves. The sails of the ship looked like the flags of a small army preparing for war. The brilliance of the full moon penetrated the darkest depths of the wood that gripped the tops of the cliffs. A small, darkly clad figure in a frock coat and knee boots stumbled along, carrying a long black leather case, timidly following a tall, confident man with long, flowing white hair. Nearby, a fox lay hidden in the undergrowth dreaming of fresh rabbit, when suddenly it was woken by the panic of a deer bolting from the cover of a holly bush and running deeper into the darkness of white woods. What was that? The small man was startled, and his voice jumped and quivered. He dropped the leather case in fright and clutched at the cloaked figure that he had followed so closely through the autumn night. It's there, he squealed. I can see it. It's in the trees. His companion grabbed him by the ear. Keep quiet, Beetle. The world doesn't need to hear your voice. The small man pinched his eyelids together as he tried to peer into the darkness and hide in his companion's cloak at the same time. Beadle didn't like the darkness, and he hated the night. Bravery was for other people, and the night was to be spent by the fire of the inn, listening to stories of faraway places, the news of war in other lands, and of smuggling, while drinking warm, frothy beer. 
Here in the wood on the top of the cliff was a different world for Beedle, a world where he did not belong. The wood was the place of boggles, hedge witches, hobs, and thulak. Beedle feared the thulak more than anything. They were strange, invisible creatures of the dark. They could steal upon you at night, smother you in a dark mist, and take from you the will to live. There were stories that they would creep through open windows and come into houses to cover an unsuspecting sleeping victim like a dark blanket. Once the victim was seized, he couldn't move. They would take his strength and fill his mind with horrifying, hideous thoughts. These were the Thalakian dreams that would be with him for the rest of his life. They would leave their victims listless and heavy-limbed, with sunken eyes from the sleepless nights spent fearing their return. Beedle grasped his companion's cloak even tighter as a gentle breeze rustled the brown, crisp leaves in the trees. Is it a man, or is it... them? He could hardly say the words. His right leg shook, his eyelids twitched, his mouth went dry, and his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth. Them? hissed his companion in his face. Who are them? Can't you say the word? What are you frightened of? Beedle hunched his shoulders and buried his face in the musty black cloak of his tall, angry companion. Thulak, he whispered feebly, trying to muffle his voice so they would not hear him. His companion raised both his hands and cupped his mouth like the bell of a trumpet. He took in a deep breath, and with a voice that came from the depths of his soul, he bellowed. Thulak! 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 The voice echoed around the woods, the fox scurried from the brush and ran deeper into the undergrowth. A roost of the blackest rooks lifted from their trees above their heads, and their caw, caw, caw filled the night sky as they circled above the branches dancing in the moonlight. No, whispered the now terrified beetle. Please, Parson Dimble, don't say that word. They will hear, and they will come and get us, my mother said. He was hastily interrupted. Us. Beedle, did you say us? Demerol towered over the cowering, frightened form of his servant. I fear nothing and no one, and they have every reason in the world to fear me. Tonight, my little friend, you will see who I really am, and you will not say a word to anyone. I control creatures that are far more frightening than the Thulak. One word of what you see tonight, and you will never dare to close your eyes again, or want to see the sun go down on another day. Now, come on, we have work to do. A ship awaits its fate, and I await mine. Demerol took Beedle by the collar and lifted him to his feet, dragging him down the path towards the sea. Beedle could not refuse. He had been servant to the vicar of Thorpe for twenty years. On his eleventh birthday he had been sent to work for a penny a week, a bed in the barn, fresh straw, and a Sabbath rest once a month. People said he was lucky, stunted, one leg withered, he was not much use to anybody. Demerol was a harsh master. He had a harsh tongue and an even harsher hand. Sometimes Beadle would creep into the back of the church and listen to his ranting from the pulpit. Hellfire, damnation, boiling cauldrons of molten blood, serpents, and all things horrible that would await the unbeliever. Beedle muttered to himself, Blast! Bother! Boiling blood! This isn't a job! 
too dark, too cold, too many. Demerol butted in. Stop your mumbling. There are things to be done. Drag that leg of yours a little faster. Maybe then we'll get to the stone before the ship passes. Beetle slipped in the mud as he tried to obey his master's command. Be careful with the box. It took me a long time and a lot of money to find what I've been looking for. Now be careful. We have to get down the waterfall before we find the stone. Beetle knew that it had not been Demerol's money that had been used to buy the black box. Sunday by Sunday he had stolen from the villagers in rents and tithes. He thought back to the night when the long black leather case had arrived at the vicarage. Beadle had peered through the open crack of the study door which hung very slightly ajar. For the first time in his life he had seen a man with a skin so black that it shone. Never before had such a trader been in these parts. The landlord of the Hart Inn had said that he had come from Whitby by carriage, the sole passenger on the brig Whitehall, which had docked the day before from Spain. Beadle had watched carefully as the man opened the case, and in the glimmering candlelight brought forth a long shining pole, as tall as Beadle himself. From the case the man then took a solid, jet-black stone hand in the shape of a clenched fist. Into the grip of the fist he placed a silver dagger encrusted with two pieces of darkest jet. It was then that Beadle saw something so beautiful that its image was impressed on his soul forever. The man brought out a black velvet bag from beneath his cloak and placed it gently on the desk. As the trader opened the bag, Beadle could make out two gold wings stretching back over a small statue. Before Beadle could see any more, Demerol quickly got up from the desk and slammed the door shut. He and his guest spoke in hushed tones. Beadle pressed his left ear to the door and listened.